In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the apostle is admonishing the Corinthian church to give liberally for the benefit of the poor saints at Jerusalem. He concludes with these words, 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. When we contemplate this great gift from God, we see that there is motivation to give, to serve, and to give thanks. The unspeakable gift of God. So first we consider the fact that Christ is unspeakable. Meaning that when all of the words that we might have available to us have been employed, there's still much more that could be said. None of us can ever feel that we have been able to adequately express the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ or even what he means to us. Certainly that was revealed as the apostle related his conversion experience in Acts chapter 26, beginning with the 13th verse. He says, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them that journeyed with me. Now keep in mind, this was Saul of Tarsus, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was full of zeal. He thought that he did God a favor by persecuting the church, consenting to the death of Christians. He's going on his way to Damascus with this authority to bind other Christians. He's zealous. He couldn't challenge his sincerity or his zeal. But he obviously was in the dark. He did not understand the truth concerning Jesus Christ. So there is this bright light as the sun shining round about me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? What a startling experience. Going on his way, feeling that he is going to accomplish something that is meaningful, something that God would have him to do. And now this voice from heaven, speaks loudly, calling his name. And the brilliance of the light that shined was like the brilliance of the sun. And he asked the question, why persecutest thou me? Now he was persecuting the church. But Jesus said, because you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting me. Why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? He recognized that one speaking with such power, with such authority, had to be Lord. Who art thou, Lord? Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. What an experience. Don't you know that if any of us could have had an experience comparable to that, we wouldn't have been able to ever quit talking about it. In fact, in some of your days when you're traveling in the dark places and you feel cast down, to be able to look back and remember there was a time the Lord spoke my name from heaven, (laughs) that would be a source of encouragement. 
I may feel rather cold and desolate at the moment, but when I look back on that great experience, how uplifting it is. And of course, this brought about a transformation in the life of this man. So his name then was no longer called Saul, but Paul. The Lord entered his heart, changed his outlook completely, made him realize that although in his Phariseeism he felt superior to others and felt to be righteous, he now saw himself as a sinner and later said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And when you've had the working of the Holy Spirit in your heart, when he's convicted you and shown you what you are by nature, you join in that testimony with the apostle and says, I feel to be the very chief of sinners. So whether Paul was talking about his conversion experience or talking about the things that he had come to love, understand and believe, he could always conclude, but he is the unspeakable gift. Then we look at some of the things that he wrote in the book of Colossians chapter 1. Of course, he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All scripture is given to us by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And he says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. You didn't enter the kingdom of his dear Son by your own efforts or by an act of free will. He translated you. This was his work. He removed you from the kingdom of darkness and placed you in the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities. And when you follow the language of this, you'd say, surely a man that's able to pen such marvelous descriptions of the glory of Jesus Christ wouldn't have to finally conclude he's the unspeakable gift of God because he's spoken some wonderful things about him. But after saying all of this, he still concluded he's the unspeakable gift of God. goes on and says that are in heaven. All things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created by him and for him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, the one in whom our hope rests today, the one in whom we have believed by the faith given us. He's the creator. Through him, God created the heaven and the earth. And he is before all things. About him all things consist. That is, he holds all things together. The very reason that the earth is intact is because it is held together by Jesus Christ. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. What a marvelous description of Jesus Christ, exalting his name above all else, concluding with the thought that he is to have the preeminence in all things. Just 
think back over the highlights. He says that he is the image of the invisible God. All things in heaven and earth created by him. He is before all things. By him all things consist. All things are held together. All things are supported. He is the head of the church. In him there is to be all preeminence. He is above all. No other name exalted above his name. And in him it has pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. Now you read that. Say what more could be said? It describes his greatness his glory, his power and yet Paul in writing to the Corinthian church says thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift because when all of these words have been employed all of these descriptive phrases have been set forth, all of this beautiful language has been penned he still has to say he's unspeakable I've said all I could say I've said all that I was moved upon by the Holy Spirit to be able to pin and say but there's more there's more and then we look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9 wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father We live in a day when the culture around us is moving farther and farther away from respect for the true and living God, respect for his word, respect for Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. But is it not encouraging to us to know that there's coming a day the situation is going to be changed dramatically? Those today who scoff at the gospel who ridiculed the idea that Jesus Christ was in fact God in the flesh. Maybe saying, well, he was a good man or a good teacher, but denying he was the Son of God. My friends, in this day of which the apostle speaks, he says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you've never made that confession, if you've never bowed in humility before him and acknowledged Jesus Christ is Lord, he is the Savior of sinners, he is the only hope that I can have as one who is a violator of God's law and justly condemned, I pray that you would bow before him today in your heart and trust him and him alone. And then as we think about Paul's further experience, he had a very unique experience according to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and the 4th verse how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter not only had he heard the voice of God speaking to him and calling his name on the road to Damascus now after this transforming experience and after his baptism and after he had been told that he was now embarking upon a way of life that would bring him many sorrows and difficulties because as he preached the truth he would be persecuted for righteousness sake he now is caught up into the third heaven and things are revealed to him that he says they were unspeakable words they are things that is not lawful for a man to utter so Paul had heard things and had things revealed to him that he could not convey. 
So wherever we look at this man's experience, from his conversion to his labor in the kingdom of God, to his unique experience of being caught up into heaven and having this divine revelation, he's one who would yet say, Jesus Christ is so magnificent. He is so great. He is so glory. I have to describe him as the unspeakable gift of God. And even before the Savior came, the Old Testament prophets conveyed this same idea that he would be unspeakable. Think of some of the things that were, though, specifically stated. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What an amazing prophecy. A virgin shall conceive. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is an essential doctrine. A person can claim that they believe in the fundamentals of Christianity, but if they deny the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, they've denied it all. If he was a man that partook of fallen nature, as all of us have partaken by our natural birth, he was not in a position to be our Savior. But he was born of the virgin, so he was sinless. And when he comes, he says, the name will be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Think of it. The God who in the beginning said, let there be light, and there was light. The God who ordered all things in the matter of creation, and it came to pass just exactly as he commanded. The God of all power. God who works his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what doest thou? This God is going to come down to be with us. Going to be born of the virgin. Going to live on this earth for 33 years. And then the ninth chapter. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. He's coming as one who is with authority. King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, there are presidents and governors and various kings of earth that occupy a certain domain. But there is a king above every earthly king. The government is upon his shoulder. And aren't you glad to know it's that way? If you thought that uh, everything that you observe around you in this troubled world was just left to chance or fate and according to the shifting sands of time, how depressing it would be. But to know that our Lord is on the throne, the government is upon his shoulders, he is ruling and reigning according to his pleasure, gives us hope in the most difficult of times. And his name shall be called Wonderful. We could just go down the list, which would be quite long, to talk about all of the ways in which he could be described as wonderful. Wonderful. He's the wonderful Savior. He's the wonderful friend. He's the wonderful promise giver that has declared he would not leave us nor forsake us. And his name shall be called Counselor. Where do you go for the counsel that you need? All of us struggle with problems, difficulties in our life, have questions that we cannot immediately answer on our own. And the sad thing is that there are many Christians who go to church on Sunday and sing these wonderful hymns of praise such as you've sung here this morning. Singing 
God's power, His greatness, His glory. Listen to a message that lifts up the name of the Lord as being one of omnipotence and one who is able to help us in the most difficult of times. And then let a crisis arise about midweek and they forget all about what they sang about Sunday and they go to the world to try to find an answer to their problem. And they listen to the philosophies of men. How can it be that a man who doesn't believe in God can assist you with your problems when he doesn't even know what you're made of? Somebody said, well, I I need to have somebody that understands me. I tell you, God knows what makes you tick. He knows everything about you. And he's given a book that describes what you need to know. And so through the counsel that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ, we find the solution to our problems. Now, the sad thing is that I've seen people who say, oh, yes, I believe in biblical counseling. I I believe that's a wonderful thing. I think that's what we need. And when the time came, they needed it. They didn't like it. Said, you know, I just don't think this applies in my case. I just just don't think that's something that I can do. I finally had to say to one man that was resisting what God's word said for him. I said, well, you know, because... Scriptures do say there's a time to answer the fool according to his folly. So I said, uh, maybe if God had known what your unique situation had going to be, he he would have worded differently. But uh, the the, the fact is, uh, obviously that that didn't occur. So so you're going to have to just accept what God says. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's it's painful. Nobody likes to admit, I've been wrong. How many times you see little kids in a fuss and you walk up there and ask, all right, what happened here? Do you ever have anybody raise their hand? It was me. I caused it all. No. Every one of them point the finger. He did it. She did it. No, it was, it was some, somebody else. Well, little kids grow up to be big kids and grow up to be adults. And we have the same tendency. We don't want to take responsibility for whatever it might have been that caused a disruption. So... It was this unique case. I wouldn't ordinarily have done that. I wouldn't have spoken like that. But if you just knew what he said to me and what she did, and all, so it's going to blame somebody else. Of course, that whole problem started in the Garden of Eden when the Lord came in the cool of the day and, where art thou, Adam? And he says, it's the woman you gave me. (laughs) He uh, He was blaming God for giving her to him and blaming the woman all in the same swipe. Don't want to take responsibility for it. Oh, how desperately we need the counsel that comes through the counselor, Jesus Christ, and through that which he has given us in his word for our guidance and edification. And so then he's called the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Now somebody might say, well, how can you call him the prince of peace when... Ever since he was here, there's been war after war, wars and rumors of wars. There's violence, there's turmoil throughout the world today. How can you say he's the Prince of Peace? Well, he gives a peace in the hearts of his people that passes understanding. So many times I've gone to someone when they had just gotten the word that a loved one had died suddenly. And their heart was broken. And they were deeply grieved. But I've heard them say as the tears streamed down their face, I've got a peace that I can't even understand. Right in this darkest moment, I feel a peace deep inside. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace.
He can give us peace when all is confusion and turmoil around us. And then we think of the New Testament references. We've already looked at that which Paul wrote, but uh, in John chapter 1 of the 14th verse, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You try to start trying to describe the incarnation. Your parents try to explain that to your children and you soon have to come up, well, it's the unspeakable truth. I, I tell you as much as I can, but to say that God became a man and he was God and he was a man. We believe in the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one true and living God. But these three persons of the Godhead all make up this unity. And Jesus Christ being made man, coming here in human form, and was indeed a man. Some suggested, well, it was just a fathom. He didn't really have an actual human body, but he declares that he did. He was incarnated. And so we see a description of his coming. And then we love that wonderful verse in Matthew chapter 1 of the 21st verse, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Yes, he was going to be called Emmanuel because he's God with us, but here's the specific name that was given him for his earthly ministry. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. The word Jesus means Savior, and it says thou shalt save his people from, his, from their sins. He's coming to save them. That's what he came for, and we believe that's what he did. He was no failure. He was not disappointed. He was not frustrated. He declared that he came down from heaven to do the Father's will. The Father's will was that all that were given to him in the covenant, all that were chosen, elected, and predestinated before the foundation of the world were given to him. He went to the cross to redeem them. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. He saved them. He came to save them from their sins, not just the consequence of sin, but to deliver them from the power of it now so that they might live a godly, honorable life. And John chapter 1 verse 36, John the Baptist is preaching one day and he sees Jesus arrive on the scene and he says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. Lamb of God was depicted all through Old Testament times. You know the story of how the Lord said when he was bringing the final plague upon the Egyptians that at midnight the death angel will pass through the land and there will be the death of the firstborn. But he said there's a provision to be made that if you keep up a lamb for 14 days and prove it to be without spot and without blemish, and you slay the lamb and you take its blood and sprinkle it upon the doorpost, he says, when I pass over you, I will not harm that house. I will pass over you. No death will come there. And so that slain lamb represents Jesus Christ. For the New Testament then tells us Jesus Christ, our Passover, is slain for us. He is our Passover, the one who died in our place that we might not be eternally condemned. Behold the Lamb of God. In John chapter 6 verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You partake of him. In a spiritual sense, you eat him. And in John 7:37, he says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Look at the descriptive phrases, the expressions that are used to depict for us a picture so that we can appreciate all the more the greatness and glory and majesty of our Savior. 
He's the bread of life. He sustains life. We feed upon him. He's the water of life. He says, if a man thirst, let him come. You drink, and you drink of this water, and you're going to have that thirst satisfied. Then John chapter 10, verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. Not only was he the lamb slain, not only was he the Passover lamb who died for us, but he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd knows his sheep, and the sheep recognize his voice, and they follow him. And he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. How wonderful to know we have such a shepherd. The shepherds in those olden times lived with their sheep. They were with them out on the plains as they guarded them, protected them from the dangers that were coming, that were ready to go after them when one went astray. The lesson is presented in Luke chapter 15 about the shepherd that would count as the sheep came into the fold and there were 99 but one was missing. Now somebody might suggest, well, one sheep, what difference is that going to make? But that's not the thought of the shepherd. The shepherd loves the sheep, every single sheep of the fold. He goes after them, whatever it took going through the deep valleys, going across the heated plains, but until he found that sheep, he laid it on his shoulder, brought it safely to the fold. Aren't you glad to believe in a Savior like that? That he knows where his chosen ones are, and he will find them. I heard somebody say one time, well, at such and such a place, I found the Lord. I said, well, I think you got that in reverse. The Lord found you. The Lord's not lost and missing, but we are by nature. He knows where we are, and he found, finds us. He found Jacob in the waste howling wilderness, stirred up his nest, and made him the apple of his eye. He is the good shepherd. And then he says, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, let him that is weary, he that is weary, let him come to me and find rest. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What precious, enduring words are these? When a person is weary of the burden of sin, you've been cast down by it, you've suffered some of the consequences of it. You know that there are even greater consequences to come because if you were to stand in the presence of God at the day of judgment and have no one to plead your case, have no advocate, no intercessor for you, you would be justly condemned. You're weary of carrying that burden. You're weary of struggling and trying to make it better by your own effort. person says, well, I'm, I'm going to do better. I talked to a young man not long ago and was presenting the gospel to him. He said, well, it just sounds like I'm going to have to start keeping the commandments. I said, well, you're not going to make it. You're not going to get to heaven by keeping the commandments because you've already broken all of them and you'll continue to be a commandment breaker. So the only hope that you can have, I'm not suggesting that you ignore the commandments of God. You want to live godly and righteously in this world, but keeping the commandments is not going to take you to heaven because you're going to miss the mark so dramatically that you need help. So when you're weary and heavy laden of that load that you've been carrying, he says, come unto me and I will give you rest. And then the Gospel of John chapter 21 verse 25. And there are also many other things Jesus did. Now the Gospel of John is, is oh such a wonderful, wonderful book. 
I preached 116 messages on it not long ago at our church over a period of time. And over and over again, it emphasizes his greatness, his glory, and emphasizes the vital importance of believing on him. You can't read the Gospel of John and come to the conclusion that it makes no difference whether a person believes in Jesus. He said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The book of Acts tells us that there is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved but Jesus. And when John concludes this gospel, he says, There also are many other things that Jesus did, which if... They should be written, every one. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So everything that we need to know about the life of Jesus is written. The Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us details about the things that he did. But John says there were many other things. If everything that was done, if every message that was spoken, if every word that was spoken to some downtrodden difficult situation it says even even the world couldn't hold all the books so if John who was a close associate who walked with Jesus during the years of his ministry was on that inner circle one of the ones that was with him on the Mount of Transfiguration and under the inspiration of the Spirit he writes all of these intricate details about the life and ministry of Jesus and he has to say uh, it's not all written and if everything was written that had been done why the world couldn't hold the books. And so how remarkable it is when we think about his greatness, his glory, to see to it that Jesus Christ is unspeakable. And then think about those who readily confess he is unspeakable. Those who have walked with him many years. You ask some of these dear ones that are 90 and like the Sister Perry here yesterday, 102. Ask them, what has it been like to walk with Jesus all these years. Can you express it? Can you describe it? And no doubt they would say something along this line. He's been my dearest friend. He's been my source of help. He's picked me up many a time when I was cast down. He's cared for me in so many ways. Yes, I've found him to be the water of life and the bread of life. Yes, I've been able to come to him for rest. And on and on they could go. And finally, they'd say, but you know, I can't tell it all. They'd have to conclude with the apostle, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Hymn number 590 in our book expresses it like this. The longer I know my Savior, the dearer he is to me. The harder I try to please him, the better I want to be. Oh, wonderful, matchless Jesus, his child I shall always be. The longer I know and love him, the dearer he is to me. So for those who have walked with him for the longest period of time, they can describe to some degree 
what Jesus means to them, what he has done for them, and finally have to say, they're not enough words. He's unspeakable. Think about those that have gone through the deepest trials. Oh, there are some terrible, dark seasons through which a person may pass. Troubles that uh, just seem to be more than can possibly be endured. How, how am I going to get through this time? How am I going to go on living without this husband or wife that's been at my side all these years? How can I go back home and see the room where my child slept at night and now he's gone? How am I going to bear it up? Well, he gives peace to those that have gone through the deepest trials. He gives a comfort that nobody else can afford. Gives a strength that's beyond anything that comes from a human resource. I went to a sister's home some years ago. A man who represented himself as being a chaplain with an organization that tries to care for people in their last days, came to visit with her. And she said to him, I just have such peace. I know where my husband has gone. He's at home with the Lord. I miss him greatly, but I've been comforted. And the man said, you're not dealing with reality. You're just not facing life like it really is. The fact is, you'll have to go through seven steps of grieving, and one of those will be, you'll be angry at God. She called me up and said, Elder Bradley, can you come out here to see me? And told me a little of what the problem was. I said, I'll be there shortly. I said, let me tell you something. It's all right to behave like a Christian. You don't have to fall apart. You don't have to weep and wail. She said, that man made me think maybe I didn't really love my husband. I said, I know you love your husband. I knew you all for years. And you cared for him in his last days. And it's only right that you should feel comfort knowing the testimony that he left and believing that he is at home with the Lord. And you know, we're all going to reach the end someday. And to some people, the very thought that Death looms out there as a frightening thought. And then some people don't want to face the reality that they will, in fact, die. I was speaking to a young lady a while back, and she obviously knew almost nothing about the gospel. And I was trying to present the message, and I could see that it didn't have much impact. And I said, you know, the fact is, you're going to die one day, and you're going to come into the presence of God. She said, no, 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 I'm young, I'm not going to die. You're old, you're going to die. I said, well, let me tell you, young people die as well as old people. The fact is, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. We're going to die someday. And if a person doesn't know where they're going, 
That's a dreadful thought. Dreadful. But what a comfort to know that when you get to the end of the way, there's something better on the other side. The hymn writer expressed it. When I come to the river at the ending of day, when the last winds of sorrow have blown, there'll be somebody waiting to show me the way. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died all my sins to atone. In the darkness I see, he'll be waiting for me. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Do you have that hope in your heart today? That if you died before this day passes, that you know you wouldn't have to go through that river of death by yourself. Not have to cross Jordan alone. Because Jesus is your Savior. Your trust is in him. You know it's by his grace that you'll ultimately see him, not according to any merit of your own. Not only then, if you would inquire of those who have walked with the Savior the longest, and those who have found him to be their strength in the deepest of trials, but ask those who have preached the gospel the longest, would you concede that he is the unspeakable gift? Preacher will talk about the types and shadows and prophecies of the Old Testament. Talk about his virgin birth, talk about his life and ministry, talk about his death at Calvary, speak of the fact that on the cross he cried out and said, It is finished, knowing that he had completed the work given him the Father to do. And after three days and three nights he arose from the dead, victorious over death. And in 40 days he ascended back to heaven and the disciples saw him as his feet lifted off the mountains and he went through the clouds and on his way back. And the angel said, This same Jesus that you've seen go away is going to come back someday. And you can preach all of that and talk about his second coming and anticipate that glorious day when he will return. And when we've said all of that, a preacher has to say he is the unspeakable gift. No matter how long a man might have been preaching and how many times he might have described in the most vivid terms available to him the greatness and glory of Jesus, he has to say he is unspeakable. And then we emphasize the fact that he is a gift. Scripture plainly declares it. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the gift of God, given, not because he was deserved, not because we worked for him. He was given. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, shall I not with him also freely give us all things? God did not spare his son. He did not hold him back. Now when Jesus was in the garden and prayed and because he was a man as well as God, he dreaded the thought of what was going to occur at the cross. Not only the physical suffering, but the fact that he who was without sin would have the sins of all of those that would ultimately live with him in heaven put upon him and he would suffer the wrath of God. The wrath of the Father would be poured out upon him because he became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so... He was given and the son willingly surrendered to the father's will and went to the cross to do that work. Oh yes, he was the gift of God. None could merit Christ. Think of some of the ways that the scriptures describe man in his fallen condition. It says he's not seeking God. He has gone out of the way. 
He is not righteous. He doesn't understand. He's full of bitterness. Destruction and misery are in his ways. There's no fear of God before his eyes. He's without strength. He's ungodly. He's at enmity against God. He's under condemnation. He's ignorant. He's blind. He's deceived. He's serving many lusts. He's disobedient. He's foolish. He's living in malice and envy. He's full of uncleanness and greediness. Now, do you think somebody in that condition is in position to earn salvation? That describes man in his fallen, ruined state. Not one thing about him that would merit the favor of God. Man is a sinner, and all of us coming from Adam's seed are participants in that sinful nature. Somebody might say, well, I don't, I don't think all of those terms are applicable to me. Well, let me tell you this. As far as our status before God, because he says if we have sinned in one point, we're guilty of it all, we're all justly condemned. I remember some years ago, there was an old brother in our church that was 95 years old, and I looked back there and I said, there's Brother Fred Birch, 95 years old. And I know this is an impossibility, but let's say... Brother Birch had lived all these 95 years and never done anything wrong. And then today he slips up and commits one sin. Now I would be prone to say, bless your heart, Brother Fred. You've done such a great job. One little thing, we're not going to hold that against you. We're going to say that's all right. But you see, that's because I'm a sinner. That's the way I think. We'd let him off. But God is holy, and God doesn't say, I'm going to grade on the curve. And those that have done the best are going to be able to go to heaven because they tried the hardest. No, if you are offending in one point, you're guilty of it all. So if you'd only sin just one time, you're justly condemned. He says, Jesus says, as he summarized the law, here it is, I shall love the Lord thy God with all thy mind, heart, soul, and strength. How well do you match up to that? Anybody think they've ever come close to that? Loving God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength so that everything you've ever done in all your life, you didn't think about yourself, you didn't try to please the flesh, you thought about God. You were seeking to honor Him in every detail, in every avenue, certainly not. And then He says, love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, you flunked on that one also. You didn't, didn't, didn't even get close. Certainly not. You may say, oh, I've, I've done some good things. Well, maybe some things that uh, you thought were pretty good at the time. And it may have been that none of it counted because the motive was wrong. You just wanted to be recognized. So the Lord knows your heart and knows the reason for which you've done it. So you're in bad shape. You're in deep trouble. You need help. You cannot save yourself. So salvation is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is what? The gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How anybody can read the Bible and come to any other conclusion, but that salvation is entirely by the grace of God is beyond me. He says, It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And so today we can give thanks for his unspeakable gift. And we should be thankful not only to recognize that he is unspeakable and that Christ is a gift, but to be thankful for this gift. Thankful that God gave his son. First John chapter 4 verse 9 says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. God gave his son that we might live through him. Be thankful that God gave his son. And then be thankful... When you think about what you are delivered from, 
Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10, Jesus which delivered us from wrath to come. Now I know there are a lot of people today that will scoff at that. Say, oh, that's just preachers trying to scare somebody. I, I, don't, I don't believe in this idea that there's wrath to come. Or a lady said to me the other day, my God would never punish anybody. I said, well, maybe your God wouldn't. But the God of the Bible has, does, and will. He has punished people. He has sent judgment upon multitudes. See, people prepare God after their own preference. Here's what I want God to be. So this is the God I believe in. Well, that's an idol. That's just a vanity. There is no truth in a God like that. The true and living God reveals himself in his book and tells us that he is holy and there's wrath to come that's going to be poured out upon the ungodly. Somebody says, well, I just like to hear what Jesus had to say. Well, I'm going to tell you what he had to say. Mark chapter 9, verse 43 says, Hell, the fire, shall never be quenched. Matthew 22:13 13 says, Outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 42, And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. Luke chapter 16, verse 23, And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. That's what Jesus had to say about hell. And that's the wrath from which you're going to be delivered if you're one of his. That wrath is going to be meted out and it's going to be everlasting. Now, I admit to you that I have a hard time grasping anything that's eternal, whether it's good or bad. I'm, I'm thankful that the home in heaven is going to be ours forever. We sang the hymn when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. So I can, I can kind of think, okay, 1,000 years, 10,000 years, that's, that's a lot. I, I can picture that. But then when you get there and, and you still got 10,000 more and 10,000 more, and it goes on and on and it's forever and it never ends, my, my little brain fades out. I, 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 can't, I can't grasp that. Well, it's even more difficult to fathom it that somebody's going to be cast into hell and suffer forever. But that's what God's Word says. And if you today believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior and He paid the price for you at Calvary and you've been redeemed, you have every reason to give thanks to God every day that you live. You ought to always have a thankful heart. Shame on us that we ever become a complainer, that we're grumpy and aggravated because things are not going so well. If you're an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, which indeed you are if you're one of His, you have every reason to rejoice and to be thankful for His abundant gifts. He blesses us with the forgiveness of sins. Now, though you were alienated from him, though you were at enmity against him, you're now a son of God, a part of his family, an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. That's hard to fathom, isn't it? You find the old Adam nature showing its ugly head. You look at yourself and say, "I'm, I'm I'm in bad shape. I, I believe God has saved me, but I just I don't understand why I still have such a battle with the flesh. And yet the Apostle Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That warfare goes on. But to think that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit of God abides in you, giving you victory to overcome the temptations that would so easily beset you. And so you should be thankful. And the very chapter from which this text is taken is one where Paul was admonishing the church at Corinth to be generous givers. And he says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, God loveth a cheerful giver. And then he says, here's the reason you ought to be a cheerful giver because of what God has given to you. And in verse 8, he says that ye may abound to every good work. The apostle Paul always 
pointed to the extreme. He never said, I want you to abound in a few good works. Somebody said, well, it's a job for me to get one good work going. Well, he didn't want you to stop at that. I want you to abound in every good work. I want you to abound. And he says elsewhere, I want you to abound more and more. Once you get going with it, just do more. Do more to the glory of God. Well, thankful. Thankful for what he has done for us. And that thankful heart ought to cause us to continue to praise him in every detail of life. And think what's going to be when you do cross that river Jordan and you get on the other side and in the resurrection your body's brought out of the grave and glorified and conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and you're going to be in the presence of the Son of God forever. His brilliance is so great that you couldn't even see him now and live. But there you'll have a body prepared for it and there'll be no more temptation and there'll be no more sin there'll be no more sickness and no more sorrow. It'll all be behind you and you'll be in that multitude the wave the palm branches of victory and saying thou art worth for thou was slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy own precious blood. Oh, what a day to anticipate to be with him forever and ever. And it'll all be by his amazing sovereign grace. And you'll be glad to give him the glory for it. The hymn writer says, when this passing world is done, when has sunk yon glaring sun, When I stand with Christ in glory, looking o'er life's finished story, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. When I stand before the throne, dressed in beauty, not my own, when I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart, then, Lord, I shall fully know, not till then, how much I owe. If you're one who has come to faith in Jesus Christ. Are you thankful for what he's done for you? Are you thankful for the salvation he's given you? Have you ever publicly acknowledged it? This would be a great time, if that's your experience, to come forward to say, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. I want to praise him and thank him as my Savior. Say it with me. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.